1: To Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, Warchant TV. Going to be with you. Oh, by the way, uh, first of all, if you're watching on Warchant TV, like and subscribe. Always bring that up. Also, uh, I want to direct your attention over to Warchant.com. Uh, another edition, it'll be up either later tonight or early tomorrow. But uh, we did uh, we did 6 through 10, the top 40 countdown. And it was kind of a fun one to do. In that, you know, these are players that that's the, the group of players we talked about today, which includes Robert Cooper. And I don't want to give away too much, but in um, and, and, and a transfer like Tatum Bethune. These are guys that um, play the game in a way. Uh, and I'm going to talk about this coming up about uh, the childlike zeal that certain players have when they play uh, sports that kind of makes you gravitate towards them. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring that up in a minute, just because there's a guy that I think we should be watching more of if we can. But for Florida State, this group here, and it was me and Ira and Corey uh, talking about this group. These are guys that are fun to root for. Now I root for all of Florida State's players because I want Florida State to be good. But these are guys that are a lot of fun to root for in that they work hard, they play hard, they play the right way, and they have a certain what-for to them to go along with uh, the enthusiasm for the game. Like These are the guys that coaches love because if you're really, really good and you play hard and you work hard off the field and you're able to lead vocally as well as physically – well, that's perfect. Now you've got a guy who's an elite player. you got a guy who works really hard, a guy who puts in the time, the guy who leads others, the guy who cares about his teammates, the guy who gets people lined up, and the guy who's u- uber productive. You know, when your best player is your hardest worker, as they say, you're going to be all right because people have no choice but to get in line and follow at that point. And I think this group and really anybody in that top 10 should probably represent that. Um, but this was a fun one today. Also, uh, our own Irish NFL managing editor Warchant.com um, talking about the uncertainty that reigns supreme in college athletics right now. You can read his story. He had a 3-2-1. Um, and, and one thing that that's in that observation um, is that, he, and he writes this, and I won't, I won't read directly from it for the entirety because you can go read it yourself on Warchant.com, um, but he, he writes that FSU's administration, since that this was coming. Um, and and he kind of gets into Michael Alford's background and he wants big things to happen. And he took over in December and, and he's got uh, blessings from the highest levels at Florida State, Richard McCullough, the president, board of trustees, chairman, Peter Collins, those guys, They some of the changes that they were make, were making and are making were obvious things that they needed to do things that they're doing to the locker room, things that they're doing to Doe Campbell stadium, all those kinds of things. But also because they are looking to the future of college football and what you have to do to ready yourself to be, um, you know, to be proactive and, and, and not to panic and to put yourself in the best possible position to be one of the brands. And I've talked a lot about this too, is that we're, we're moving away from solely markets being the thing and moving much more towards brands being a big deal as these conferences, these two super conferences, latch on. Uh, so it's kind of fun that way. And really all we're waiting on now, and Ira writes about this, it's a really good 321. Go to warchant.com to read it. Uh the granite rights is a real problem. And you know, I think we know that the inevitability of Florida State, and other name brands in the ACC, namely Clemson, Miami, North Carolina. We know that it's inevitable that that group, that foursome, you could maybe expand to six because Lord knows, and many of you guys have touched on this in the chat, and I've talked about it before too, politics in North Carolina has its hand in everything, and The money players and the influential people that are going to have Duke's back in all of this to go along with North Carolina, NC State to be sure as well, means that they're going to try to get a seat at the table too. And so I think predicting how this looks, predicting when this happens, predicting how these teams get out from under the grant of rights, leave the ACC, put themselves in the most advantageous position, it really is kind of a fool's errand to guess. When that's going to take place, because right now it is the lawyers that are spending an awful lot of time figuring out is there a chink in the armor? Is there a loophole? Is there something that would allow these teams that desire to leave this conference? And I think that if you're being aggressive and you're being, if your head is not in the sand and you're objective, you recognize now that the ship has sailed. There's nothing that the ACC is going to do long-term to put themselves in the same sort of financial position that the Big Ten and the SEC are in. You could salvage something of the ACC and radically change what it is if you brought in and created some sort of coast-to-coast league and you removed some of the teams from this league. And you removed some of the teams from the Pac-12 and you took the most desirous of those programs, those institutions in those two leagues, join them as one with a Pacific division and an Atlantic division. And the winners of those divisions meet in the ACC championship and play in wherever, Las Vegas, who knows? Like you could do something like that. And it sounds almost plausible. Uh, That would also allow the Olympic sports not to have to travel clear across Hell's half acres because you would just stay within the ACC if you're volleyball, for example, and you know you can rotate a situation where you you cross over and play in football and in basketball a certain number of teams from the Pacific Coast, um, but but everybody else, all the non-revenue sports, you, you'd keep it on your side uh, of the of the coast, right? Your side of the country, uh, you could I guess you could do that, but would that garner the same sort of annual take? or your teams that teams that are getting paid by Fox and the Big Ten and ESPN and the SEC are getting. Because ultimately, even if you can salvage it, but you're still making $20, $30, 40000000 million per university less than those schools, you're going to be second rate. And I don't think that anybody's signing up to be second rate. I think that most realize there's not a lot that can be done here to salvage this thing. But now it becomes about the legal wrangling. And, uh, you know, again, I guess the concern is that because nothing perhaps can be done immediately due to the grant arise, that Florida State and Clemson and Miami and whomever else, for the time being, have to sit and play in this conference reap the negative, uh, aspects of that, which is far less cache than everybody else uh, that you're seeking to compete against, recruit against, bring in coaches against all of that, right? You, that You may have to do that for three or four years till it becomes tenable for you to break the agreement, the money dropping each year that you're moving towards the end of the grant rights deal. Um, Yeah, I've got some of those concerns, too. You don't want to fall further behind as, uh, again, those you compete against continue to line their pockets uh, and do better and better and better. I do like the Big Ten having been delayed in announcing their contract, their television contract deal, because to me, that, again, speaks to the fact that they had more negotiations to do. We saw the fruits of those negotiations with Southern Cal and UCLA, who's to say that they're not talking to two four, six more teams. We know the SEC, who's always been very, very aggressive, is not going to sit idly by and allow the Big Ten to trump them in their maneuverings. It just happened for the first time in a long time that a conference not named the SEC was able to lay it down on the SEC and say, gotcha. Yeah, but that won't lead to them being subservient. They're going to say, oh, okay, I don't know, This, this is the game, this kind of funny games we're having around here. This is what we're gonna do. So I have hope. I hope it doesn't take too long. All of that to say go read iris 321 <laughs> on warchant.com. Next week we'll do the top five in the uh, in the top 40 countdown, warchant's top 40 countdown uh i think you guys can easily predict now if you've watched the other versions of what that top five is going to look like you probably already knew that most of us agreed on that top five but it is exciting this year as opposed to the year before and the year before and the year before even through 20 like the the one through 20 and maybe even beyond that gets you kind of excited so that's good news too all right it's the jeff cameron show 93.3 real talk radio war chant tv stay with us kind of a libations thursday edition
0: Check out WarChant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's WarChant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk
1: 93.3. If you love, uh, I don't know, the certain innocence factors in people. Like I think one of the reasons that we end up falling in love with certain players is if they're able, and this is in any sport. So this could be football, could be basketball, could be baseball. My next example is going to be baseball, but not you don't even have to like baseball to understand what I'm talking about here. I always hate to have to do that caveat these days. Cause I understand there's a massive segment of my audience, the demo that's under the age of 40. That's like, eh, Jeff, going to go down the road to baseball again probably like, I, like you do when I do golf, but I talk about everything. So anyhow, this is more of an observation. When when I was when, when much younger, <laughs> uh, one of the reasons that I loved King Griffey Jr. was uh, especially early versions of King Griffey Jr. before he was jaded, is that he played the game with an unbridled passion and zeal for the sport that you could tell he loved to be out there. He loved to play. And I think anytime you watch anybody do anything, it could be a musician. It could be something you recognize in a painter's art. Like you can just see it it, it, it jumps off the canvas. You can, it's in the words, it's in the prose of your favorite writer. Um, it, It's a poet, it's whatever, right? And I've seen it in watching track you know i've watched guys and, and and women run and some of them look robotic some of that's technique some of that is obviously running the most efficient manner possible because the difference between winning and losing in that sport is milliseconds but other people do that too and they seem to do it with real joy like you can it's it's something that they have to do um, it's, it's like they do it as if they're remembering something they've done before and needed to do their whole life. And when we recognize that in athletes, we gravitate towards it. We watch people chase their dreams in that way, and it's unfettered. Now, they get bogged down by fame if they have a ton of success, and they're on the cover of video games and magazines and websites everywhere, and they're getting pulled and pushed every direction their agents are telling them about how much more money they could make if they do this this and this they have to present a certain type of image and slowly but surely it kind of gets weaned out of them it kind of gets pushed away and, and and in essence all you have then is the player not the person with the passion that is that player, but just the player. And the player may be very well good enough to continue down that path and make tons of money and be uber productive because their talents are such that they're preternaturally gifted. Uh, They're faster than you and me and they're faster than their competitors. They're taller, they can jump higher. They can do whatever that might be. It could be swing speed, could be whatever. But it's no longer, and you can always recognize it, it's no longer nearly as fun to root for those players or even teams. There are teams that take on it's easier to see this in basketball, where five starters, and maybe eight guys, nine guys are major contributors to the success of a basketball team. So you see it in the NBA, like I think the Memphis Grizzlies are fun because they're all so young and they know they're good and they're brash and they're talented and they had a comeuppance against Golden State this year after they got a little cocky, but they didn't care. They were so fun, right? To me, I could embrace that team. I can root for that team. I can, I can love to watch that team. Individuals, players, why do I bring it up? We're not having enough conversations about how bad ass Shohei Atani is. We need to celebrate all things Shohei Atani. Now, I bring this up for multiple reasons, but let me quote to you because you may not have recognized this. Unfortunately, he plays out in Anaheim and half the time, most people don't get to see him. And that's a shame, just like Mike Trout. Continued his recent run of dominance on the mound, allowing one unearned run while striking out ten Angels. Um, uh, five to two over the Mar- ten uh, Marlins, I should say. Five to two victory over Miami on Wednesday night. He's not allowed an earned run. Shohei Atani is not allowed an earned run over his last 28 and two-thirds innings pitched, the third longest streak by an Angel starter within a season in the last 50 years. It's the fourth straight start without allowing an earned run and his third with at least 10 strikeouts and zero earned runs. He's the sixth pitcher to accomplish this feat since it became official, earned runs did, and the first since Jacob DeGrom in 2018-2019. Quote, I didn't change much. Most important things. I made my pitches when I had to make my pitches. I think it's huge when you're winning, and I'm pitching because I'm part of a ball club, and we're winning when I pitch. Yeah, well, that's an understatement. He's eight and four. He's won his fifth consecutive start. Limited the Marlins to two hits during his current stretch of successful outings. Otani has an ERA of zero point two seven. He's a limited. He's limited opponents to sixteen hits in thirty three and two thirds innings. Um, and he talks about how all he ever really worries about is keeping his body in the best possible condition it can be in. He wants to be fully healthy so that I can go out and win games for my team. And I think it's sincere and Have you ever seen somebody who not only dominates in that way, and we're not even talking about what he is as an offensive player, which is absurd. This is truly Ruthian. All of this is Ruthian. We've never seen a player like this since, you know, Babe Ruth. It's insane. And he always does it with a massive smile on his face. Like he just got away with a prank of some sort. Like, I'm pulling this over on you guys. You don't even understand. This is easy for me. And I love the joy that you're getting out of this. Like Watch him dominate an inning and see as he walks off the field, no real menacing scowls towards his opponents or anything like that, just – Sheer joy because of the reaction of his teammates. When the catcher points to him, when the manager comes out of the dugout to shake his hand let him know that's it for tonight. When the players run in from the outfield and pat him on the back, the joy he feels from their satisfaction. It is so cool and so rare. I just want you to take the time to watch Shohei Itani play baseball. Because it could be any sport. It could be any sport. But it's so seldom that you see somebody do this in a way where you feel their joy, their passion, their childlike enthusiasm for the game that they play. And that's what we grew up loving. It's what we did when we played sports as kids. And then, you know, somewhere along the way, even in high school sports, it gets kind of silly. You get parents lobbying for things. Things get political and all that. So by the time a guy gets to the majors, it's very rare, or the NFL whatever it might be in big-time college football. It's when you find those guys, you got to latch on to them. They're rare. There needs to be more of them. I wish there were more of them. I'm afraid that not many people are equipped with the personality of Shohei Atani. And I don't know, Matthew, do you think that perhaps some of this is that there is some language barrier? Um, There is sort of – he's he's insulated from some of the – things that could make one jaded because there is a buffer between him and those things in the way of an interpreter, in a way of those that obviously are tasked with the responsibility of protecting him as an international superstar. I don't know if that's what it is, but none of that has gotten to him. Like I've never seen anybody since King Griffey Jr. maybe happier to play baseball.
2: Well, there's certainly um, a, a positive barrier, at least from the fans' perspective, I would say, But it seems like to me, whenever I watch him or the Angels play, and it seems like his positivity and joy of the game really exudes and rubs off on not just the Angels, but also the opposing team. That's crazy, but you're right. He's pitching and he just, you know, he makes whoever it is look like a complete fool they're they're laughing they're they're joking back and forth as they're walking back to the dugout and i think that's really something that baseball has missed for a long time it's it's gotten it got to the point of rivalry to a negative degree, if that makes sense, yeah, no, no,
1: i I, I see that. I, I think you're right. I mean, intimidation became a focal point for pitchers to the extent that it was bordering on um aggression that crosses the line over that of being competitive and dominant, and that ended up being confrontational. So, yeah, I see what you're talking about. and 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 it's funny because you remember, and I don't know if you're old enough to remember, but a lot of people listening to this will remember John Crook. Batting from the left side against Randy Johnson in the All-Star game, and Randy Johnson intentionally throws it 100 miles per hour over his head on the first pitch, and and he kind of gives him that little smirk, that little smile, and Crook cracks up laughing and turns his hat backwards, is like, yeah, no, I got no chance. I got, no, I'm right. not, I'm not. That was kind of that joy is what you see, and the fun-loving nature of that interaction. You're exactly right. That's what you see with Shohei. The hitters think it's funny. They think it's kind of. I mean, look. They want to win, but if somebody's going to throw five different pitches for strikes, two of which move more than anybody else is in the league, you just tip your cap. It's an appreciation.
2: Yeah, it, it makes no sense that the guy in the previous half inning that just hit a three-run bomb 450 feet is going to come up here and make a professional hitter look like a complete fool. <laughs> It's, it's cool. It's Ruthian. Go watch Shohei
1: Atani, everybody. I just wanted to point out something that brings me joy. And as a sports fan, I think it'll bring you joy. It's the Jeff Cameron Show. we all for the future at a moment. 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV.
0: The Jeff Cameron Show is a production of the WarChant.com Multimedia Network. Check out WarChant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's WarChant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3
1: welcome back jeff cameron show 93.3 real talk radio and of course more chant tv today's show kind of serving as a libations friday edition of the program we got no dukes we got nobody left Director matthew has been a warrior today, but he is fighting, uh, being under the weather. Tom is on vacation. And um, we have other members of the War Chance staff that have been struggling with their own uh, illnesses. So it's that time of year. Everybody's getting sick. I just got over getting sick. I fear I got everybody else sick. So no show tomorrow. No libations Friday edition. So we turn today into a little bit of a, a libation Thursday conversation if you will. Speaking of conversation, it is time to solve for the future on the Jeff Cameron Show with our partners at ISF. You guys know about ISF. I I talk about them frequently. I'll give you a little bit more of what they do. ISF, by the way, reminding you about uh, hurricane preparedness, of course. They look out for the community. Uh, They want you to be prepared when uh, hurricanes and, and other weather disasters strike. And so dating back all the way to when we were in May, when they did the spot about um, and, and worked with our friends at the second harvest of the big Ben, and they were handing out free food and hurricane supply buckets uh, with, with the essentials that you need. <clears throat> so you need to be prepared. That doesn't go away just because we're now in July. Uh, so make a plan, be prepared. You can visit ISF.com to learn more ISF solving for the future and, a strategy term, uh, firm. Forty years, they've served state government business clients across the nation, and they have unmatched expertise. And they develop strategies, evaluate and refine processes, implement technology solutions. They're realistic and forward-thinking. You've got big visions. You want to do amazing things. You've got great goals for the future, and uh, you want to work hard. Uh, to move your agency forward while navigating challenges inherent in government operations. That's where ISF comes in. It can help you realize that vision. All right. So basically when we talk about solving for the future, I want to turn your attention to uh, the conversation just keeps going on this. I brought it up last hour, but a lot of really good reporting going on right now in the athletic and other places um, you know, because you can look nationally, and then we, of course, bring it back locally on this show with the Jeff Cameron Show and how it affects Florida State. And so even though, like, right now, maybe you're looking at, well, most people who cover college football are certainly looking at Notre Dame. You know, what's Notre Dame going to do? The thought right now is that ESPN is fighting like hell to try to convince Notre Dame to join the ACC full-time. And the reason is, of course, they have ACC, the ACC network, and the rights to ACC football. And they know that the media ratings for Notre Dame are exceptional. And even though the rest of the ACC did not rate worth a damn, uh, Notre Dame did. Notre Dame did. And if Notre Dame ends up going to the Big Ten, remember the Big Ten, largely kind of run by, by Fox, an investment in the Big Ten network then they fear that they'll lose out on that Notre Dame uh, jump in terms of ratings, that Notre Dame spike, that, that, that attention, those eyes on set. So we continue to talk about this being about brands. And so this is, this is great for Florida state because it's no longer solely about it. it the, the belief no longer is solely about markets. The last go around, <clears throat> excuse me, the last major shift and uh, dynamics in college football A lot of it had to do with markets. And so the thought was, when you looked at Florida State, you started to worry. You started to wring your hands. You started to think, well, that's how Rutgers got in the Big Ten. That's how Maryland got in the Big Ten uh, because they wanted those markets, allegedly, right? Um, And and you can debate that. You know, the ACC has Syracuse. Do you have New York because you have Syracuse? Not really. Not really. They don't really care. You have Boston because you have Boston College. So those debates, I mean, does the Big Ten really have New York because they have Rutgers? Well, you definitely have L.A. if you have USC. So the Big Ten made that move. But this this has shifted. This has been about brands. And now it's about because, again, you're trying to negotiate the best possible television deal. And I thought The Athletic did a good job today on a couple of fronts. First of all, if you get back to, you know, when you think about what universities are and what conferences are, and you think about uh, the way that they're viewed now, um, it's it's fascinating because you're selling almost like a, uh, I guess you could say to some extent, you're selling um, A television show and you go I'm gonna quote you uh, from from the I'm gonna quote from the athletic story because I think this sums it up better than I'm doing right now Um, Michael Martin quote saw the future in 2011 Martin is the president of Florida Gulf Coast University but 11 years ago he served as a chancellor at LSU 11 years ago at LSU, who's football crazy, obviously a region of the country that loves football. He had a meeting with the Knight Commission on intercollegiate athletics at the Ritz-Carlton in Washington, D.C. So this is in 2011. And this is what he said, which turned out to be pretty prescient. Quote, I think we could ultimately end up with two enormous conferences, one called ESPN and one called Fox. That piece was written by Adam Himmelsbach, then of the New York Times, now of the Boston Globe. Quote, I'm not exactly sure what we do about it. Went on to talk about the television money driving all of it. ESPN owns exclusive college football playoff rights through 2025, 2026. They own the SEC network. They will soon have all of the SEC's media rights through 2034. Fox Sports will be the Big Ten's main media rights holder, majority of the Big Ten network. You can go read the sports Business Journal. John orrand uh, Orand, I should say, pointed this out. Um, there are no bigger forces, no more uh, larger forces in college football than ESPN and Fox right now. And when they went on to go, they went on to talk about how, okay, so now you have super leagues, and you get into how is that sold? How is that consumed? Who's watching? Do you even need ESPN anymore if you're the Big Ten? Uh, Probably not. Does this become a thing where that league fights for, and let's say however many teams there are in that league, for a champion, and what emerges is that champion, and then over here is the SEC, however many teams that ends up being, and that fight plays out, and can we agree upon letting those two teams then play like a Super Bowl, if you will, like the NFL. They go on to talk about the, the, the sellers of TV rights and the brands and what you would need to do, obviously, um, to put yourself in a position, obviously, to be part of uh, something that is gobbled up as part of this live sports uh, purchase. So that could be Apple, that could be Google, that could be Amazon, that can be, you name it, Netflix, right? People want programming and live sports programming works and you want to have the most for lack of a better term, sexy product, right? What is your program? Is it housewives of Atlanta? Is it whatever it is, right? Because the streaming services now run the world. And so it is that you no longer really need cable per se plugged in cable. So will Florida state find a landing spot because they enhance the brand and the overall package being sold to the kinds of streaming services we're talking about? And it could end up being, of course, just uh, ESPN, could be uh, Fox, could be whatever. The answer is yes. So the future for Florida State is going to be solved by whatever transpires next in these television negotiations. Remember the Big tens. Negotiation was supposed to have already been done and completed by now. It kept getting pushed back. We thought we would have heard something before now. And the fact that it hasn't been signed and announced yet tells me and you that basically these negotiations, including the negotiation the Big Ten just had with USC and UCLA, have had a lot of wrinkles to them. And they're forward thinking. They're not going to sign anything just yet until they figure out what gives them the most desirability, right? What can you then go to Fox with and say, hey, we have LA, we have New York. By the way, we've enhanced our brand. We want this much. And every time you make that move and you gobble up more teams of significance that have a significant brand or represent uh, a market the size of LA, then you are increasing the likelihood that you ask for more money. Well, that means they're not gonna stand pat They're going to want to continue to enhance that. And the SEC is not going to stand pat. They're going to want to counter the Big Ten because they, too, want the money. It's about the money. So we'll end up, as we saw for the future with our friends from ISF, we'll end up in one of those two locales. That's where this is going. That Florida State is a huge brand. So is, say, Miami and Clemson. So is North Carolina. We're all going to end up in one of these two super conferences. It's not something that you have to like. It's just something you have to try to understand and know that it's going to happen. And because it's going to happen, it should put your mind at ease. The four states not going to get left out in the lurch because it's no longer solely about markets. It's about brands and what you package and sell for the most amount of money. Whatever you do to enhance that brand, and in this case, add teams, certainly allows you to make more money. And I think that's, now we're just waiting. Now it's a waiting game. It's certainly not going to impact, we don't think, certainly this season. But I think before football kicks off this year, we'll get another bombshell. That's Solving for the Future from our friends at ISF. It's the Jeff Cameron Show. We'll come back, wrap it up momentarily, Ninety-three-three Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV.
0: The Jeff Cameron Show is a production of the WarChant.com Multimedia Network.
1: Jeff Cameron, show 93.3 Real Talk Radio, or Chant TV. Thanks for being patient with us today. Less than ideal circumstances. We're having to ship and shape, and move, and do things differently. I wanted to get content out to you today. We're off tomorrow. Back with you on Monday. The world returns to normal a little bit, and we start hitting the ground running because, again, we're moving ever closer to the start of Florida State football practice. We also have an opportunity to head to Charlotte here real soon uh, in the uh, towards the uh, just past the midway point of the month and uh and and do what we do from charlotte which is glean more information about what the hell's going to happen to a dying conference in the acc and do they do something to find a, a life raft or is there a seismic shift uh are they reconfiguring you know it's funny before i get to probables we're talking about and andy staples does a really good job on this stuff and he was talking about and i've talked to andy about this before but he he just did an interview with richard deitch and um you know, he's talking about the superpowers and that if you, that there's a book out there that you can read um uh, that they kind of talk about how the premier league was formed. And it, it's very similar to what's happening now with college football here. Um And he goes back to 1984 when the Supreme court, the United States Supreme Supreme court ruled in favor of Georgia and the university of Oklahoma against the NCAA Which had control over everybody's football TV rights at the time. And and now uh, we're kind of going back towards a single seller of TV rights or two uh, sellers of TV rights. And um, he's, he's noting that up that when the Supreme Court broke that up everybody started selling their own rights as conferences that's how the consolidation began so conference consolidation and realignment Uh, has really been going on since the 80s, and you can look at the early 90s when the SEC added Arkansas and South Carolina. So fun little history lesson. You're reminded of these things. You knew these things, but then when you see it in front of you, it's kind of fun to talk about again because I can remember, most of you can. um, Maybe my younger demo doesn't remember this, but when Arkansas and South Carolina went to the SEC in the early 90s, I don't know that it raised too big an eyebrow – not the way it is now, but now we've just you know we we forget about those things. The Big Ten added Penn State, Florida State. Of course, we know this. Joined the ACC, right? Um, and it you know at that point nobody really wanted to be independent anymore. They they wanted a home. The Big East uh, picked up uh, you know some of the other uh, East Coast dependents. Then the two thousands, the ACC began to re-, re raid the Big East. John Swafford, commissioner of the ACC kind of realized it was a kill-or-be-killed deal because here's the thing, right? The Big East was going to raid the ACC, so the ACC said, no, 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 you're not, we're going to raid you, and they did, and that was the end of the Big East in essence. Larry Scott becomes the commissioner of the Pac-10. He tries to negotiate a deal with the Big 12, and he's going to bring in Texas A&M, Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Uh, He was going to raid the Big 12, and and basically that would have been the ruination of the Big 12. But DeLos Dodds of Texas said, nah, nay, nay, and used his ass, pulled the okey-doke, and got the Longhorn Network. And so all of a sudden Larry Scott got played. And then Texas A&M and Missouri were like, well, this is untenable. We can't do this. And they decided to leave, so they go to the SEC. And on and on and on and on we go. And what you figure out is you just have to look out for number one, You just have to look out for number one. And at this point for Florida State, obviously, you're trying to figure that out right now. And I can assure you that there are active maneuvers. There's only so much you can do with the Granite situation uh, serving as the albatross around the neck of its institutions like Clemson, Florida State, Miami, and others who would seek to leave here. But I do think that once this thing gets moving the way that it has, and once it's started basically with Texas and Oklahoma and now this massive move that we've talked about all week and we'll continue to talk about as we await the next big shoot to drop it, Once that happened, you realize we're too far down the tracks. There's nothing that's going to stand in the way, not even the Granite rides, from the kind of progress and mega bucks we're talking about with these two Super Leagues. Now, to baseball, before we get to probables, point you to a Jeff Passon piece on ESPN. Passon's a great rider, does a very good job covering baseball, I want you to read the piece simply because you're gonna fall in love with a pitcher named Alec Manoa, who's six foot six, two hundred and eighty-five pounds. And I meant to bring this up yesterday, but he thinks it sucks that the the horse, the stud, the ace, the pitchers of yesteryear are no more, that pitch counts rule the day. And Uh, An exercise of caution beyond reason seems to be the norm. So we're at a place right now um, where, hey, you know, Uh, 84 pitches and five and a third is the average start. By the way, that's for a starting pitcher, 84.4 pitchers, 10 fewer than the standard that's held for the last 10 years. Um, And it doesn't last even six innings. It used to, of course, can you imagine? And I had this conversation the other day with somebody. Can you imagine walking to the mound and telling John Smoltz or Greg Maddox, uh, for you Braves fans locally, that uh, at 80 pitches in the uh, seventh inning of a one-run game, it was time for him to come out, they would have looked at you like you were – mad. walk out and tell Nolan Ryan that his day is up in a 1-1 game in the sixth because he's thrown 100 pitches. Right. Wouldn't happen. And it's not good for baseball. Now, there's a balance. There's a balance. You need to use the math. But a lot of it is – seemingly overly cautious. You have arguments even amongst pitching coaches currently about how many pitches is too many pitches. And can you build somebody up to a place where they can comfortably throw a hundred pitches each night out? Um, You know, listen, that was baseball's marquee attraction. were aces, sluggers and aces. That's what it was. You knew on the night that you were going to go see Kurt Schilling, no matter how much big a jerk he was, you were going to go see a battler, a guy who was going to fight, Pedro Martinez, go tell Pedro Martinez it's time to come out in the sixth because he's thrown 90 pitches, right? That quote from Manoa that you'll love, and I can't repeat it verbatim, is, I'm a big effing guy. I'm strong as a horse. I'm built for this. I can take some hits, man. It's all right. If you don't let a pitcher pitch, you're never going to build him up. You're never going to let him struggle. I say this all the time. I can get my ass kicked. I'll bounce back. I've got that dog in me. I want to be out there. I'll learn from it, and I'll go from there. Alex Bonilla, you're my man. I'm now rooting for you over and over and over again. And all those efforts to keep pitchers healthier by limiting their workloads have failed. Arm injuries remain as pass and rights. Omnipresent, $100 million in salary this season. Lost the time on the injured list from pitchers already, and we're not at the halfway point. So it's not working. 80 pitches, 109 pitches, 84 pitches. It's about the stress of those pitches, the situation, how how long are you removed, how far removed are you from your last surgery do you have other injuries that you're accommodating have you already had tommy john because if you haven't you're going to if you're a pitcher at some point it's going to happen then you bounce back from that and how far removed are you from that it's fascinating let's get to probables queued it up i know it is time i've prattled on long enough about this but i'm just glad that somebody is pushing back and saying look man it doesn't seem to me uh that all of this Overly cautious exercise in order to salvage and save pitchers is doing any good? We're seeing just as many injuries. A lot of day baseball today. As I get to probables, Royals, Astros already underway. Chris Bubik, Justin Verlander, Pirates, Reds. Part of a doubleheader. It's a makeup from back in May. Uh, Renzi Contreras going for the Pirates. That's nice to see. Mike Miner going for the Reds, Nats, Phillies. Joan Adone and Bailey Falter. We've got the Angels and the Orioles. Chase Silseth, Jordan Lyles. Pirates Reds again in second part of that doubleheader. It's a day-night doubleheader. Bryce Wilson going for the Buccos. Reds to be determined. Marlins, Mets. Daniel Castano going for the Marlins. Mets will throw Trevor Williams. Yankees, Red Sox. You'll have the shove down your throw by ESPN, but it is a fun rivalry. Two good teams. Garrett Cole, who's been sensational as usual. Going against Josh Winkowski. He too has been good. Cardinals, Braves, Matthew Libertore, and Spencer Str- uh, Stider, Strider, excuse me. Tigers, White Sox, Obriski, Dylan Cease, Rockies, D backs, Austin Gomber, Dallas Keuchel, Giants, Padres, Logan Webb, Joe Musgrove. Musgrove, so you know, beaten two with a 225 this year, nearly 100 strikeouts. It's pirate. Cubs, Dodgers, Mark Leiter Jr. and Tony Gonsolin and Blue Jays Mariners. To be determined for the Blue Jays tonight, that's the late game out west, 10-10 start time. Marco Gonzalez is going for the Mariners and that is, or Mariners as they call themselves, that is a look at those that shall reside on the bump. Okay, so like I said, no Jeff Cameron show tomorrow We're back with you on Monday. It's a full go. Tom's back from vacation. Hopefully, Matthew, you're feeling better. And you guys, I hope, have a great weekend. Looking forward to it. Eats up even more next week with football-related material. So we're we're, going to survive, guys. We're going to make it. I hope you have a great week. Thanks for listening today. Appreciate you. Be well. Talk to you again on Monday. Peace.